Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, these are strange times that we live in. Uh, the thought of not being able to be in God's house on Easter Sunday is uh, horrific. Uh, I, know, I know Pastor Moline... Uh, in his early days in North Dakota, had uh, had an Easter morning problem, and uh, you uh, you fought through it, and yeah. were still able to worship in the sanctuary. Um, that's probably not going to be the case for the vast majority of Christians, not only in the United States but in many parts of the world. Yeah, it's kind of a sad thing in that regard, isn't it? Uh, my very first Easter as a, a pastor, um, we had a sunrise service supposed to start at 6 o'clock. The youth group all got there at 4.30 in the morning to start making a breakfast before that so that they could serve it immediately following the uh, worship service. And uh, when I got to the church, everybody was sad and uh, cast down, uh, and they were uh, the windows in the sanctuary had all been beat in with a baseball bat, and there was glass all over all the pews and all over the floors, and everyone's like, we just need to cancel church, we need to stop this, there's, you know, it's uh, not safe, and calmed them down, started vacuuming up glass, vacuumed enough pews out so we could have the sunrise service, and then kept vacuuming, got enough pews cleaned out for the regular Sunday morning service and um, still had our meal and uh, actually I think it's a good thing to still have God's word on Easter no matter what the circumstances are and so if we're unable to meet in person we'll make sure we still get God's word out there as faithfully as we can because it's an important thing and um, we're having conversation about how we might also get uh, uh, additional sacraments out there as well remembering um, how Figuring it out is what's still in process. The uh, difficulty, you know, we're recording this program a little bit early, and uh, we're concerned about potential stay-at-home orders and all this kind of stuff. So at the time that we are recording this program, when we're going to look at the readings for the resurrection of our Lord Easter Sunday, we have not made our specific plans on how we will be doing church on Easter Sunday. So I would just encourage you to check out the Good Shepherd website, uh, goodshepherdlincoln.org. You can check out the KNNA website, thecross957.org. If you'd like to get put on our Good Shepherd Lincoln email list so that you can receive daily and other periodic updates, I'd encourage you to do so. And as always, whether we are meeting in some way, shape, or form in person, or if this is only going to be, you know, um, YouTube, Facebook, radio kind of stuff, every one of our scheduled worship services Hear that again. Every one of our scheduled worship services will be played on KNNALP 95.7 The Cross. Whether it is a live service or a uh, tape-delayed service, every scheduled worship service will be right here. 
And you can listen to that on the radio, uh, on the app, on the uh, church website. If, uh, if we have a service scheduled for a time, uh, let's say 1030 on Sunday morning, and it's 10.33 and the service hasn't started yet, don't panic. It will be there. Sometimes we have just a little bit of an issue getting things to start right at that top of the hour or bottom of the hour. But trust me, it will be there. And that's one of the things that we're doing in order to make sure that the Word of God goes out in season and out of season. And we are in a strange season right now. Enough of this stuff, <laughs> yeah, huh? Uh, let's get to the word of God, Pastor. I'll give you the last word. Well, no, I was just going to say um, we're we're working as hard as we can to make sure everything is as normal as possible as far as the church goes because nothing in this whole situation is more important than God's word, than His forgiveness and mercy and grace. And uh, we pray that you would have that with us as we work to try and bring the word out, and uh, uh, that we might have that with one another. Our Lord has died to take away all this calamity and to remake the world perfect in the end, and so we look ahead to that uh, going forward. Amen, amen, amen. And no matter what any government uh, official, elected or not, tells you, the Word of God is essential in your life. Vicar, the Gospel reading for the resurrection of our Lord, and we're looking at the readings for the primary Easter service, Mark 16 one to eight, please. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Fear, um, alarm, boy, um, I guess we couldn't come up with any better text for this time uh, in our country and in our world. And uh, sure enough, the Word of God is speaking to us as the Word of God always speaks to us. The um, one-year series, primary gospel reading for Easter Sunday is Mark 16, 1 to 8. Pastor, uh, the Gospel of Mark is... Uh, probably the least known and maybe the least favorite of many Christians. Uh, it would seem kind of an odd choice that uh, the primary gospel reading for Easter Sunday is from Mark chapter 16. Do you have any thoughts or comments on that selection? Well, I think um, 
all of the Gospels are inspired and are the Word of God, and it's important for us to understand that. Uh, I think a popular thing to do today is to pit them against one another and to uh, create conflict where there doesn't need to be any. Mark's Gospels may be a good selection for this because it gives the uh, bare-bones account, the uh, the uh, straightforward, this is exactly what happened sort of thing that we can uh, then take and uh, trust and believe uh, in its truth and purity uh, so that we might understand the importance of what happened on this Easter morning, that Christ has raised from the dead, that he's no longer no longer dead and uh, decomposing and sitting in a tomb, but rather he lives and reigns for all eternity. And uh, as you know, we hear also on Easter Sunday, he's the first fruits of all those that sleep. In other words, What's your end? You can see it here in Mark's gospel. As Jesus raises out of the grave and lives, so too one day will you raise out of the grave and live. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand as Christians all the time, but especially now in the midst of this uh, pandemic and epidemic that we're facing. Even should you die, Jesus got up from the grave and promised that you will as well. And so Mark's gospel does a good job of bringing that across very clearly for us in this time of year. And while certain parts of Mark's gospel go into great, great detail, some detail that we have no place else in all of Scripture, for the most part, things are happening quickly. They're happening immediately. It's kind of the uh, dragnet, for those of you that are old enough to remember dragnet, the Joe Friday dragnet version of uh, Christianity. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. And that's exactly what we have here. Very, very well said, Pastor. And uh, something that you said that I want to highlight we do not pit one part of God's word against another. That is that is sinful. That is shameful. And uh, sometimes theologians, uh, so self-proclaimed theologians, will uh, try to make their career on that. That is not the way of a Christian. We do not pit one part of God's word. They complement each other. They do not contradict each other. And here in Mark 16, we have... When the Sabbath was passed, a little bit later, it's very early on the first day of the week. And then when the sun had risen. So, Pastor, putting all these things together, is it already Sunday morning? Is it just before sunrise on Sunday morning? There are a lot of people that get really, really hung up on the timing that all this is taking place. So, uh, can you help us with uh, with some clarity there? Yeah, uh, I once again this is pitting the gospels against each other, and uh, we we don't need to do that. What we do is we say, look, it's the very first thing in the morning, and so we have um, the gospel that says, you know, very early before the sun had risen, they headed out towards the tomb, and here in Mark's gospel we have very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. The reality is is they're not hopping in their car and driving over there, and it takes them two minutes. They have to walk, and they have to walk. Um, we have to understand ancient cities surrounded by a wall with various gates, including Jerusalem. In fact, we know where some of those are. And so they had to walk up uh, the streets inside the gate, to inside the city walls to get to the gate. They had to walk out the gate and then walk outside the city walls to the place where the tomb was. And uh, it takes time. And there are other people out and about, and they have to walk through the crowds. And the, 
the city of Jerusalem, normally 20,000, 25,000 people, is swelled to 250,000, maybe even 500,000 people. So there's camps, there's things they're walking around and getting out of the way for to get there. It takes time. And so they might have left when the sun hadn't got up, and they might have get there after the sun has come up, and it's kind of a silly thing to focus a lot of energy and time on. Okay, so... Um uh, you you gave you gave me uh, more than I was looking for, but you answered it completely. Do not get hung up. This is no contradiction in the scripture. Uh, if you've been out of bed ever in your life, right before sunrise, it's kind of a spooky, eerie time as the uh, as the light is coming up, as the sun is rising. It is uh, oh golly, uh, maybe a, a forty-five to sixty-minute kind of a process as things slowly get more light and more light and all of a sudden oh the sun's up um during this time they make the journey that is not the most important part the most important part is what they find when they get there uh very very uh, briefly here pastor uh, and they were saying to one another who will roll the stone for us from the entrance it was very big. When we come back from the break, I wish we had time to do it now. When we come back from the break, can you talk about burial customs and how this big stone was rolled in front of the tomb and what the significance of it is? Is that, uh, is yeah. that worthy of our discussion? I think so. We can have a long conversation about that. Okay. We need to take a break. Sorry on the time. Uh, this is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the resurrection of our Lord. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. He lives. He lives who once was dead. He lives my ever-living head. He lives to calm my troubled breast. I don't know about you, but I need some calm right now. Uh, things are things are beyond imagination. I was uh, thinking earlier today, you know, about the uh, months and months and months that we've been dealing with this uh, pandemic and rule of 10 and stay-at-home orders and daily uh, counts of how many people are sick or dead. And then I realized, uh, as of the recording of this program, it's only been 19 days. We need some calm, and the calm that we need is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the rock and the anchor of every Christian, and uh, I'm speaking to myself. If it applies to you as well, then uh, praise be to God. Um, 
It's time that we start acting like Christians who have hope. It's time to start acting like Christians who do not let the fears of temporal death consume us. It's time to act like our sins are forgiven and our name is written in the book of life. Pastor, sorry for that. No, that's the exact truth, and I think that's what um, the beauty of us being able to talk about Easter in the midst of this is, is just like we said in the first segment, Christ has risen from the dead, and this is the uh, great Easter um, greeting that we use, right? Uh, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and the implications for that are that we too will rise, that we are not defeated by death, um, that uh, even though our flesh should decay and our eyes dim and our uh, bones become splintered and dry under the earth, um, Christ has been raised, and in the last we shall see him with our own eyes, Uh, we shall receive the gift of eternal life. We shall be at peace and comfort and joy forever in the hands of Jesus. That's our good news. That's where our hope is. Amen, amen, amen. Pastor, um, I jumped the gun just a little bit. We want to talk about the burial customs, the stone, the the grave, all this kind of stuff. But before we do that, uh, there's three women here. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. Oh, Mary the mother of James and Salome. We have three women here. Um, I know that there's something about having three witnesses uh, in Scripture. What what can you tell us briefly about these three women? Well, um, there is the uh, business about three witnesses. The difference, of course, in this particular situation, and I think this is one of the things that indicates the truthfulness about Christianity. Uh, They're in, women. That's right. In the <laughs> ancient world, uh, you could have three witnesses to verify something, but their laws at that time and their rules were that it could not be women. Um, and I think this is an indication that Christianity is true and that we're telling the truth here. If we were making this up, we would have had three guys that discovered it, uh, and they would have been the verifiers of what that Christ raising from the dead. But instead, we have women, which was not a valid witness in the ancient legal system. And so we have these three women here, um, the, the three Marys that are there. We have Mary, the mother of James, um, and uh, we have Mary Magdalene, out of whom... Uh, Um, demons had been driven, uh, and we also have Salome, whose name also probably is Mary, if we look at the other Gospels. And uh, so we have these three ladies that are there, eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Okay, so uh, Jesus, Good Friday, he's dead, he's buried. Um, The women, three days later, Sunday morning, they go to the tomb, they're worried about the stone, being over the spot where Jesus is buried. What can you tell us about um, the the burial customs? We know that Jesus was laid in a new tomb. Uh, what What is this stone thing, and why is it significant? Well, uh, the burial customs of the ancient Jews are very unique, especially at this particular time. Uh, the way they buried people was they would they have lots of rock there, and so they would dig a hole sideways into the rock, and they would create the first room, uh, and then they would have a second room a little further. And in the second room, they would have stone benches along the walls. And what would happen is if you died, your family would take you into one of these things, into that second room in the tomb, and they would lay your body on one of the stone benches, and they would leave it there for about 
a year. A year, the anniversary of your death, they would go back in, and by that time, your flesh is all rotted away and all that's left are your bones. They would take your bones and they would uh, gather them together, uh, along with the little bits of uh, dust or flesh that were left there, and they would put all this into a stone box that's called an ossuary. And uh, just imagine the size of the stone box, the longest bone in your body is your uh, thigh bone, your femur, and so it's about that long and um, about half as tall as it is long and half as wide as it is uh, long as well. So they'd put all your bones in there and then they'd set those, stack them up in that first room in the the tomb. And um, this is kind of the way you did it. You had a family tomb, and so all the poppies would be buried in the same place, and you'd have the bodies laid out in the second room, and in the first room, you'd have all the bones together so that uh, the family would always be together. And that's also why in the gospel accounts, when it says they buried Jesus in a tomb in which no one had ever been laid before, and that's to us, that sounds a little odd, right? Because all of us will be buried in a place where no one has been buried before uh, in all probability. That's not the way back then. You would reuse a tomb multiple times for different family members who had died. For Jesus' case, he was the first one and the only one uh, to use the tomb that he was buried in, so far as we know. So this uh, this big rock, this big stone that's in front of the tomb, yeah. is this a common thing? Is this it to is. seal, to keep out the odor? Is this to keep grave robbers from coming? What's the purpose? Well, uh, you do roll a big stone in front of the entrance to the, the tomb, which is probably a couple feet tall and a, a, a foot or two wide. Um, the idea is not necessarily to keep out grave robbers. Of course, uh, they would be able to push the stone out of the way. It does keep the odor in to a certain level, and it also keeps, this is going to sound kind of gruesome, keeps wild animals out so that the bones are not eaten and the, uh, the scattered and things like that so that a... I don't know, a lion doesn't take your leg out into the wilderness and consume it there. Everything should be left exactly where it was before. Okay, that's, uh, that's helpful. So they, the women get there, and they saw that the stone had been rolled back. So Jesus comes to life, and because he is God, he has the power of God, he pushes the stone out of the way uh, so that he can get out because he's trapped inside the tomb. Is that what happened? Well, um, no. First off, <laughs> of course not. That's why I said it that way. Right. So, so the, the stone rolls not um, not that direction. It ro- rolls um, perpendicular to the entranceway, and so an angel from the outside comes and opens the tomb. Um, I I don't know if Jesus is still in there when the angel opens the door or if he's already been raised and on the outside that part is a little bit because the ladies never see jesus come out of the tomb they the the tomb is opened and they go in and jesus is not there and so the angel opens the tomb so that you can see that the resurrection has already happened if you will it's not like jesus is just a regular guy and he's stuck in there he's god he's omnipresent and he is able to be where he wishes to be, especially on Easter. It seems like sometimes even more than one place at one time. Yes, and if Jesus can enter into a locked room uh, with his uh, Easter resurrection appearances, he can certainly walk through a stone and get out of a tomb. So the reason why God sends the angel to remove the stone is so we can look in. Exactly. And that... 
that can't that point can't be driven home enough. Um, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they are alarmed. Um, what was the name of this young man, and from what tribe did he come from, Pastor? Uh, well, it's an angel, and <laughs> I suppose he comes from the tribe of God's eternal angels. Um, and, uh, you know, this is one of those other places where we try to pit Scripture against itself here. We have um, this angel that's mentioned here. There's another angel that opened the door, and so there's multiple angels that are here, and this one just happens to be sitting inside the tomb uh, where Jesus had been laid. Okay. So, um, again, we don't pit scripture against scripture. This is not a man. It is an angel in the appearance of a man. We know that uh, from, uh, from the other gospel accounts. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. Uh, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Let's, uh, let's stop right there with that much of it. Um, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Uh, the message that the angel brings to the women. Go. Well, um, this is even the words that are written on the inside of the tomb to this day. He is not here. He has risen. These are the words that we greet each other with in the Easter season. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This is the hinge upon which all of our faith uh, really stands, right? If Christ has been raised from the dead, then we will rise also. If he's not, then we're just fools, right? And he has been risen from the dead, and that's this is almost an unassailable fact of history. There's really no argument that stands up uh, against this having happened this way. It is truly an amazing thing that the angel announces that is historically verifiable. Um, there's no other place where you can find Christ's bones or uh, no other place where he's been uh, buried. This is a reality. In uh, verse 7 of Mark 16, the angel says, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Two things. First, the angel tells the women to go and tell. And then he separates Peter from the rest of the disciples. Um, either one of those questions or both. Um, we've already talked about how women are not legally uh reliable witnesses. Uh, this is the law at that time. What's going on with telling the women to be witnesses and separation of Peter? Well, we have to remember where Peter and the other disciples ended up on Good Friday. They're scared to death. They're terrified. They're hiding. They're self-quarantining and social distancing um, in their home. they just like churches are apt to do, I guess, too, they are violating the rule of 10 because there's 11 of them locked up in one room in Jerusalem, and they don't want to come out because they don't want to be killed themselves. And these women have come, and the angel sends them to go proclaim the word of the resurrection to these uh, disciples so that they might come and see themselves. And that's what's going to happen. Uh, when they hear this word, they run to go see it with their own eyes, the same way Thomas wants to see it with his own eyes and put his finger into the hole uh, where the nail had been. These are This is what the angel's word drives them to do. The faith comes by hearing, and hearing this word, they then go to see and to believe. In, uh, in Mark chapter 16, the 
end of this gospel reading at verse 8 leaves the women um, trembling and astonishment, uh, in astonishment, and they said nothing to anyone for they are afraid. In the time that we have left, Pastor, um, paralyzed by fear with regard to the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Well, <laughs> they're overwhelmed as any person really would be in the circumstances. They knew what happened to Jesus. They knew what crucifixion looked like. They maybe even saw Jesus bleeding and dying. Uh, they may have been there from a distance watching as um, Jesus was placed into the tomb, and they know he's dead. And they're human beings. When they find out the resurrection has happened, they are just overwhelmed by the reality of what it means uh, as I imagine if we would have seen it we would have been also and so they have this fear but that doesn't permanently stop them from acting we know they go to tell the disciples and uh, the disciples come to see Jesus resurrection as well many people are afraid right here and right now what is the one thing that drives away that fear the resurrection of Jesus we need to take a short break we'll be right back you are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. He lives. He lives who once was dead. He lives my ever-living head, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for you and for the life of the world. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Easter Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord. We're looking at the primary Easter service, one-year series, Lutheran service book. In our first two segments, we looked at the gospel reading, Mark 16, 1 to 8, uh, now we want to take a look at uh, perhaps one of the most well-known sections of Scripture in the entire Old Testament. We're going to look at Job 19, 23 to 27. It is the section of Scripture that our bumper music, I Know That My Redeemer Lives, is based on. I know that many, many people have uh, this as their, their absolute all-time favorite Bible passage, and I'm going to give a shout-out to our uh, one of our shut-in members of the congregation, Daryl Travis. Hope you're listening, Daryl. This one's for you. Vicar, Job 19, 23 to 27. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. 
Okay. Wonderful, wonderful words. I don't want to uh, spend a lot of time in the background of Job and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we can do that another day. Uh, the the beginning part here, verses 23 and 24, uh, sometimes catch people off guard, Pastor. Why would Job care that his words were written down? Why would Job care that they were inscribed in a book? Was he looking for a book deal? Uh, was he trying to make a name for himself? And then verse 24, Oh, that with an iron pen and lead... They were engraved in the rock forever. Why is Job so consumed or seemingly consumed with making sure that he gets these words written down and with a, a pen and a rock and lead and uh, help me out? Well, he wants these words recorded because these are the most important words to him. This is the great confession of faith that he has, just like us as Christians, that Christ has been raised from the dead. Uh, alleluia, right? Um, that's what Job wants everybody to know. And so he wants it written in a book, which is not an easy thing to do at the time that Job was writing. He wants it uh, written down on paper. Uh, this involves telling somebody about it and they copying it down for him, engraving it in an iron with an iron pen. This is taking a stone and chiseling out the words and then to make sure people can see them and read them, melting lead to fill in those holes that are chiseled out so that the words glimmer and shine and that everyone can see them and they're upheld on the side of a building. That's what Job wants, this confession of faith that Jesus lives and that God lives and that death has been defeated and destroyed. That's the confession of faith on which everything hinges for him. So in a sense, these first two verses are, are kind of like Job saying, behold. Extra, the, extra, read all about it. Yeah, this is really, really important stuff. And this has nothing to do with Job making a name for himself. This is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed forever. And he wants these words recorded in a way that are not going to fade or pass away. I think of the um, uh, passage, uh, the epistle in uh, Reformation Sunday, the angel who is proclaiming the eternal gospel. Revelation 14, 7, if I remember right. Um, so let's get into the nuts and bolts here. For I know that my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer. Um, there is a lot of Redeemer theology in the Old Testament, in all of Scripture, of course, but especially in the book of Ruth. What is this... Uh, uh, Gael, um, redeemer thing that God talks about, and how does Jesus fulfill it? Well, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there's this idea of a kinsman redeemer or redeemer, and this has to do with the promising or the passing on of the promised inheritance, the land, the possessions that you have. Um, and if you have no um, descendant, who's the next one in line and how do they get the property or things like that. It has to do with also if something's been wronged against you, how do you get 
justice? How are things righted for you? And this is the idea of a kinsman redeemer. We see that take place in the book of Ruth when um, when uh, I just lost his name, Boaz, uh, wants to marry Ruth. And uh, so what he does is he goes to the city gate and he gathers together the elders of the city and he takes off his sandal and says, here's my thing that I want to do. I want to redeem this property. And oh, by the way, that means I'm also going to marry Ruth as well. And I, this gets brought up again then in the Gospels when uh, John the Baptist says about Jesus, no one is worthy to untie his sandal. In other words, no one's there to redeem him, but rather the other way around, he'll be the redeemer uh, for us. Um, anyways, this is the idea of what's being done here that someone can be Job's redeemer, and the person that does that is Jesus. And the way he redeems is by suffering, bleeding, dying, and rising again, so that all sin, uh, the power of the devil, and all guilt is taken away and uh, is made right in Christ. Redemption, or a redeemer, is the process of buying someone back. Uh, We can look at this financially, we can look at this as a slave kind of a situation, but it it is buying someone back. And Luther teaches us in the small catechism that Jesus is our redeemer. He has bought us back, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Jesus is Job's redeemer. And We have some things here with regard to this buying back that we often uh, omit or fail to highlight with regard to this purchase in one aspect of the ministry of Jesus. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. What is this at the last, uh, uh, Pastor? When... for immediately for Job, it's, you know, when everything else is done and there's nothing left, I know that my Redeemer will still be standing there to take care of me. For us as Christians, it is the idea that the last day is coming and that Christ will still be standing even as everything else has collapsed and fallen apart. And that's when the redemption will be fully realized for us. It's here now, yes, but um, we still are in this world of suffering and sin and difficulty. And on the last day, Jesus will come back with the trumpet sound and he will stand at the foot of our grave and he will call us forth into eternal life and recreation as he has promised okay uh he will stand upon the earth uh jesus is not some mystical creature that floats around in gaseous form true god and true man he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed you know you gave us a pretty good description of death early on uh i think it was in segment number one here about uh you know the the uh, skin being um Uh, decaying off the bones and then the bones being put into a bone box and your family bones stacked up in the corner. Uh, You know, this is not a pretty sight. Uh, Or Daniel, when he sees the valley of dry bones, very dry, very dead. Death, Death hurts, death stings, death stinks, and death is not a part of God's uh, order. Uh, God is God of life, not a God of death. Yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Pastor, most Christians think when they die 
and their soul goes to heaven, that's it. That's as good as it gets. Most Christians, my experience has been, do not know much about the resurrection of the flesh on the last day, nor do they care much about it. Why is it a big deal? It's a big deal because it's putting the original creation right again. You know what I mean? So your grave is not your final resting place. It's your resting place until the last day when your body will be brought back to life, put back together. Uh, even the, I love the confession of Job here, uh, even after my skin has been destroyed in my flesh, I will see God for myself. When you die, what do you see? Well, the best we can tell, nothing, right? <laughs> the eyes get glazed over and cloudy, um, and they start to decompose and rot and fall apart. And yet the confession of faith from Job here is, is that you still will be put back together, and your own eyes will still see again on that last day when Christ puts them back together. Uh, I love the... Uh, Handel's Messiah version of it, you know, we shall all be changed uh, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, quoting from, I think, Thessalonians, isn't it? Uh, when uh, he talks about that day and the dead, decomposed, rotten, leftover, seemingly thing, will be put back together to be still used and holy and righteous and complete and untainted by sin again. And that's what's ahead of us all. And this is the joy of Easter, right? If you get coronavirus and you die, your body will be put back together perfectly, completely. No illness, no gray hair, no wrinkles, no bad eyesight, everything will be put the way it should have been at the beginning when God said about the creation it was very good. That's what's ahead of us. So in a way, this is the worst it will ever be for you as a Christian because on the day of resurrection, it will all be made right. In the same way that Jesus is not some uh, spirit floating around in gaseous form, neither are you, dear Christian. You are a body and soul creation of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have been redeemed, body and soul, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for you. And no matter what assails you, probably won't be coronavirus, but it might be cancer or heart disease or a stroke or an auto accident or uh, the flu, whatever. Death is not the last word. Life is body and soul. And that is what we cling to not only on Easter Sunday, but we cling to each and every day of our lives. This is Proclaiming the One. We need to take a break. Don't change that dial.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's been uh, very difficult the last few weeks to serve the saints in our normal way. Uh, we have a lot of things. Uh, while we have suspended worship services here at Good Shepherd, we have a lot of things that we've been putting together through our website, uh, through YouTube, Facebook. Please check out our church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org. We'll have as much uh up to date there as possible. Radio website, thecross957.org. want to say again, every regularly scheduled worship service at Good Shepherd will be on the radio, either live or tape delayed. Uh, that will not change. We have not canceled church. We have just suspended corporate worship to comply with the rule of 10 order that is uh, in the state of Nebraska right now. We long to have corporate worship return. We encourage the people of God to contact their pastor and uh, work out a time, either a home visit or a private visit at the church to receive the life-giving, life-changing body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under bread and wine. And uh, please keep your pastors in your prayers. This is a, a strange, stressful, and very, very challenging time. Um, in our first segment, first two segments, we looked at the gospel reading for Easter Sunday, Mark 16, 1 to 8. Segment three, we looked at that passage from Job 19, where our hymn, I Know My Redeemer Lives, is based, verses 23 through 27. And now in our final segment, we want to look at the epistle reading for Easter Sunday from the great resurrection chapter in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 57. Vicar? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must be put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen. The victory we're talking about is the perfect life, obedient death, and glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, that uh, great resurrection chapter, it is specifically uh, the resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead that is highlighted and uh, impressed upon us. Behold, I tell you a mystery. There are very, very many mysteries that are a part of the Christian faith. Does this mean, Pastor, that the Christian faith is not true, not reliable, is a pipe dream? What is this mystery talk? It's not that it's untrue or that it's uh, some crazy, you know, um, 
voodoo that we've come up with. It's just that it's beyond our understanding, behind beyond our normal comprehension. And what I mean is this, when something's dead, we as human beings have no idea how to bring it back to life. I know we think, okay, so somebody has a heart attack, we can shock their heart and maybe it'll start beating again. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But if it's dead, dead, if it's funeral home, dead, if it's graveyard, dead, to use Jerry Clower's term, there's nothing we can do to undo that. It's beyond us. And yet for Jesus, for God, it is not impossible to undo. He has the power and the authority to undo it. And how he does it, well, that's a mystery mystery to us, but we know that he does do it. It, it amazes me that... Um, <clears throat> So many people realize this mystery and they want to solve it in crazy ways. I think back to the 19th century when a book was written by the name of Frankenstein, where you have someone who is trying to create life, take something that is dead and make it alive uh, via lightning bolts. And we've had every variation of that theme ever since. We have people about the same time frame that started talking about Dracula and uh, being obsessed with uh, vampires and somehow living forever. More, more uh, recently, uh, this has morphed itself into almost a seeming obsession with zombies and the walking dead. Here in Lincoln, we have a zombie walk every year. I wonder if that'll be, if that'll be canceled because technically the people are already dead that are walking. I don't know. Um, but um, people realize that there are many, many mysteries surrounding the beginning of life and the end of life. And people are always trying to solve or figure out the mystery rather than letting the mystery be the mystery and letting God speak to us with regard to what this mystery is and why this mystery is nothing to be afraid of. Pastor, am I, am I going way, way, way out in left field here, or am I, am I close to the truth? No, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, and that's a result of our sinful nature. As sinners, we always want to have an explanation. We always want to be in the know, and there are some things that are beyond us, and that's what uh, this mystery that we're talking about here is. It is a mystery that Vickers wife loves him because he is a dork however i have witnessed time after time after time that it is true that's the kind of mystery that we're talking about folks things that don't make any reasonable sense but they are true it makes no sense that a dead jesus came back to life it is a mystery but don't be fooled it is true. Thanks for playing along, Vicar. I usually You're say very that. welcome. I always say that about myself. <laughs> I thought it was time to expand my horizons there. Okay, so Pastor, uh, on this last day stuff, uh, we will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. What are we talking about here? Well, this is the day of resurrection, if you will. In the last moment, the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. And what, what the question is that's behind this goes like this. Okay, so we know 
that the dead people that are in the grave, that God will raise them. He'll put their bodies back together and he'll reattach the body and soul together. And so the question is, what about us who are still alive, if that's the case, right? If Jesus returns right now, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to be changed. What that means is that we're not going to have the sin or the results of sin's effects on our body in us anymore, but we shall rather be like Christ in his resurrection. All that stuff will be undone and will be made holy, complete, and perfect at the moment of Christ's return. When the trumpet sounds and all the dead raise, we shall be changed. The language and a vicar, you know, it's tongue-twisting language. It's hard to read this section because I've read it hundreds of times at the gravesite. The this is part of the committal service for a Christian. Uh, it's a tongue twister. And the what I want to focus on, Pastor, are those two words put on. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. When the mortal puts on immortality. I get up in the morning and I put on my clergy shirt. I put on socks that hopefully don't have too many holes in them. I put on right now this goofy walking boot because I have a stress fracture in my left foot. Is this clothing imagery helpful with regard to this phrase, putting on, or is that a wrong way to look at it? No, that's exactly what the word in the Greek means. It's uh, uh, the word in duo, and it's an aorist middle sense, which is great because it means it's being put upon us and... it's this weird middle sense where it's happening to us, and that's a great thing to see happening here. We're getting dressed in eternity, and the same way that in baptism we get dressed in the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all of our sins so that we're getting further clothed. What we are is being made complete, maybe, is a way to say it. That's what we're looking forward to. And Romans 6, that baptismal language where we put on Christ, death and resurrection, coupled with 1 Corinthians 15, these verses here, 51 through 57, teaches us that there is nothing incomplete in our baptism, but there is a an ultimate fulfillment that will happen on the last day, whether we're living or already decayed in the grave. Now, the great words here, death is swallowed up in victory. Pastor, teach me about this victory. Well, the victory is the resurrection of Jesus. And the amazing thing about the resurrection of Jesus is it doesn't just count for him, it counts for all of us. It's a now yet not now thing, uh, and it is what is ahead of us. Death swallowed up in life, meaning death. If, you, if it was a dog, if, uh, if death was a dog, that dog has no teeth. Its bite doesn't hurt you anymore. It can't gum you to death. Rather, in the end, it will be dead itself. The very thing that it did to you has happened to it. Um, and we get to live. That's, that's the good news that's coming ahead for us. Life has been won for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the song that we're singing. Many people who grew up in the 60s uh, grew up with the uh, the old animated Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 
Yeah, and the, you have Herbie the Elf that wants to be a dentist. And what does Herbie the Elf do to get rid of the uh, abominable thing, snow monster? The abominable snow monster, the thing that is causing te- fear and terror. He pulls its teeth. He pulls its teeth. And that is a beautiful picture. My friends, thanks be to God who gives you <laughs> the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Vicar, the collect for Easter Sunday. Let us pray. Almighty God the Father, through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, you have overcome death and opened the gate of everlasting life to us. Grant that we, who celebrate with joy the day of our Lord's resurrection, may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. Sunday morning when you get up, read your paper, drink your coffee, uh, figure out how in the world you're going to go to church, uh, whether it's on YouTube or the radio or some uh, handheld device or whatever, pray for your pastors. And however you do it, go to church. And give us a call. We'd, we'd love to come and give you communion or schedule time for you to come here and do that as well. Amen, amen, amen. I'll say it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.